0: Hello welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Us. the highly anticipated sequel to 1990's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, were you a big Ninja Turtles fan as a kid?
0: I watched the cartoon, I had the toys, and with the movies, the one that I watched most was the first one. So I did, we all did. We all grew up, different levels of fandom, but I think we were all fans of Turtles for one reason or another.
1: Yeah, I I watched the cartoon fairly religiously. I had the original film on VHS. Uh, I did love as a kid. This one was my favorite, um, but it meant hiring it from the local video store and that kind of stuff. Uh, but
0: I had, I had so many of the action figures. I'd, oh, so did I. The Technodrome, yeah. The, the blimp, the turtle van that had a squeaky wheel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I had. I uh, had so many. Yeah, toys. me and my brother. We had. I
1: think we had like the first five waves in their entirety in the action figures. Um, So when this movie was ready to come out, like in fact, the very first CD I bought was the soundtrack for the original film. So I was, I was, I was in the bag for this um, in a big way. Although, you know, in here in Australia and everywhere else, it was the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, but in the UK it was the teenage mutant hero Turtles.
0: Heroes in a half shell. <laughs> that was just a cartoon, though, wasn't it? For me, in the UK, that's all I knew it as. And then one day, I heard the song, and it was Ninja. It of heroes. In the UK, I guess they kind of figured Ninja is too violent. But in the cartoon, yeah. we can still have the weapons, just called them yeah. heroes instead. It's less threatening. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: well, something you might notice about the second film, bringing that up, they don't really use their weapons at all. The reason was parents, especially in the UK complained about the violence of the weapons in the first one, which is why the second one's a lot sillier and it's all pretty much punches and kicks and kind of slapsticky. In fact, the style of the movie, Michelangelo grabs uh two sausages that are strung together and uses yep. them like nunchucks. That was cut out of
0: the British version. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Yeah, this, I mean, Yeah, okay, we talk about it now. This movie is ridiculous. It is really silly. And if you'd watched that first movie and was a fan of that first movie, it'd be hard to not be disappointed by this movie. But at the same time, I mean, that first movie, I think when it first came out, it was the most expensive independent movie of all time. And it was huge at the box office. But then the success of the cartoon the studio obviously wanted to lean into that. And and like you say, they didn't want to alienate parents. So they wanted to make it more tame. And it just, it lost the edge from that first film.
1: Yeah, it did. It did. Um, although it still, it still looks remarkably 80s and kind of feels 80s because, of course, the 90s didn't really feel like the 90s until about 92, 93. Um, And one thing I noticed is I think they must have had a smaller budget for the second one because the set quality also went down. Um, Specifically when they're at the, the company TGRI in their lab, it looked like the set of the 1990 flash TV show, which was a high budget TV show, but this was a, film production, the set should have looked more believable.
0: Um, This movie actually had a larger budget than the first one. No. Holy crap. It did. I mean, I think because again, there is a real indie look to that first film. And this and maybe it looks better They're able to make it look better and spend less with what they were going for with that first movie. But this one is brighter and flashier. I know one of the things that they did spend money on, and it was the Turtles themselves. So going back to that first movie, the Turtles' facial expressions were cable-operated with all the motors, servos housed in the shell. But in this movie... With the larger budget, the animatronics were much smaller and lighter and were built into the face itself. So they were able to get a lot more out of the expressions on the turtles. Yeah,
1: which uh, ironically I did notice for the, the actors inside the turtle suits, I bet the second movie was a lot more comfortable because you could see on certain angles in certain shots the cushioning that was obviously the shell because uh, obviously there was lighter, so they could be more acrobatic. But you could see the, the material parts of where the, the shell part fit the the latex part of the costume, which you never saw in the first one, probably because, one, they shot the first one with a lot less light. But two, yes. like I said, those shells must have been heavier, which probably helped inform the movements of the, the, the performers because they're legitimately carrying more weight on their back. Um it's just unfortunate because I said they've spent more money and it looks cheaper.
0: It's just odd. Yeah, that first movie looks looks so much better. It really does. Yeah, do you notice, in fact, of course you've noticed, we get a different April O'Neill in this. Yeah. Instead of Judith Hogue, who was April in that first movie, here we get Paige Turco. But I was looking yeah. into it just to see if there was a particular reason why Hogue didn't come back for the sequel. One of the things that I found is that the director was unhappy with her. She was defending the way that the stunt doubles were being mistreated when in the costumes. Oh wow. And she spoke up for them and apparently that didn't go down too well. I don't know if that's the reason or a reason but something to do with why maybe she didn't come back in the first place. And that's like we were talking about with the guys in the suits. I mean, they're going to be heavy and it's a very physical role as well. And
1: those things breathe <laughs> because it's latex. Um, yeah, because the guy, the character Kino, played by Ernie Reyes Jr., was actually the original Donatello in the suit in the first film. They were so happy with him. They gave him uh, a part on screen out of the suit so they've got a different actor playing donatello for the second movie but that's i think for the mistreating the performers it's strange that they are mistreating the performers probably ignoring them that you know they're dehydrating and the probably legitimate health concerns but they still liked one enough to give him an on-screen uh performance as a new character which they created for the film
0: tell you what though Um, the character's okay, I guess. Yeah. It's pretty obvious that we're getting given Hino instead of Casey Jones, who we yeah. don't get in this movie. What are the best things about that first film? He's absent from this.
1: Yeah, with no explanation as well. There's no line of dialogue to go, you know, oh, he's moved cities or, you know, he and April broke up so he doesn't hang around anymore. Um, nothing like that. But it's 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 a shame. It's a shame because it there being a year between these films. It just there's a bit of continuity lost there because according to the start of this movie, I think they put a bit of line of dialogue. There's only been a matter of somewhere between a few weeks to a few months between this start of this movie and the end of the previous film. Um, I think three months is a line of dialogue I heard somewhere. I'm like, really? So where is the, where are half the
0: characters gone? Um, Yeah. That's a good point. The first one came out in 1990, just one year later, the sequel that doesn't happen. Not a movie of, of this size, like a big comic book spectacle. But there to be no. one year between releases. But they obviously wanted to strike while the iron was hot. That first movie was a hit. The cartoon was still doing well. They were selling toys. So they were obviously quick. Let's make let's make a sequel.
1: Yeah. Um one <laughs> of the big it pissed me off as a kid, and it makes even less sense now. They introduce uh, Razor and Toka. Uh, why did they not use Bebop and Rocksteady as the uh, evil mutants?
0: Um, I do have an well, answer. Appa- yep. Kevin Eastman and Peter Led, the creators of Turtles, they were concerned that this movie would resemble the cartoon series. So they wanted to make it as different as possible. I mean, the new characters, Toka and Razor. I mean,. They they kind of resemble B-Rob and Rocksteady a little bit in just being these you know big uh, hired thugs, yeah, that are mutated. But it, I was always disappointed in that. It's like you know they're in the cartoon. We've all got the action figures already. Just, yeah. just do it. But again, it it was it was the creators that they they put a stop to it. They didn't want B-Rob and Rocksteady in the movie. Yeah,
1: it's such a strange. Th- Decision to make, especially because, like I you said, your your target audience is the kids, and the kids know Bebop and Rocksteady. I remember this as a kid; they produced action figures for these two characters. I refuse to buy them. I'm like, that's not. I don't like those guys. Yeah, you know, for my entire life, I was, why did they not use Bebop and Rocksteady? And it wasn't until. Michael Bay produced films uh, recently. <laughs> they finally got around to using them, and I was like, "It's too late now. I'm not, I'm not 12 years old anymore. I don't care."
0: But in that, in the um, sequel release we got Casey Jones back. This time, played by Stephen Amell. Yeah, yeah, um, great casting.
1: It's just a shame that he he's gone. And you know, going back to April O'Neill, Paige Turco is not a redhead. I like think April O'Neil's always been a redhead. It's just yeah, like the things that they changed. Also, I never thought the cut, the original actress was particularly attractive, but it was very typical of a that period film for the leading ladies to not be overly sexualized. And then the sequel, they've hired a more attractive actress. I'm like, is that the 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 era starting to seep in there in um, the gratuitous?
0: Uh, use of Vanilla Ice later on in the movie (laughs) Wow, yeah, Vanilla Ice is in this. Okay, before we continue (laughs) with the characters, everybody is familiar with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but I'll just do as a quick run through and then we can carry on, we'll catch back up and and carry on with the characters The film follows the adventures of the four turtles Leonardo, Donatello Michelangelo, Raphael and their master Splinter Resuming from the events of the last film, the villain Shredder returns to take back command of the Foot Clan and work towards getting revenge on the Turtles. When he learns the secret behind the Turtles' mutation, he becomes more dangerous than ever. The film sheds some light on the origins of Splinter and the Turtles, as well as introduces two new villains, as you've said, Toka and Razor. The film was released on March 22, 1991 and received mixed reviews from critics who felt it departed from the much darker tone of the original 1990 film. The film was financially successful and became the 13th highest grossing film domestically in the year of its release. The film is a tribute to Muppets creator Jim Henson who fortunately died less than a year before the film's release. Henson's Creature Shop created the animatronic creature costumes for the film, just like in in that first movie. So, the budget of this film was 25 million. So, I said they spent a little bit more on this one. The the overall gross for this film now, this is including theatrical and worldwide rentals. Like you mentioned yourself, that you rented it a few times. So, in total, they spent 25 million the box office
1: was 78.6. Yeah. So not compared to these days, not the kind of mega success you'd expect, but also it was always viewed as a kid's movie. And I don't know how well, well, actually modern kids movies do like stupid money. if, If you're a Pixar or a Disney film, but yeah, it's, um, I always find it, it strange because I'm so used to. Oh, uh, a movie's not a success if it's it makes below six hundred million worldwide. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't
0: it? Yeah. Even like TV ratings, like how they talk about TV ratings now compared to five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Yeah, you know, shows that got cancelled years ago for not having ratings high enough. Current shows would kill for those ratings. It's yeah. just a completely different landscape. So yeah, whenever you're looking at um, movie grosses for films, uh, you know, whether it's the 80s, 90s or whatever, it does look a lot less than what you'd expect. But I guess when you look back there, it, it does fit. And you know, 75 or 25, should I say, and 78.6. Yeah. There's a profit there. It's and just- then there's toys and everything else, all the merchandising that's going to go on top of that. Now, this film didn't bring back the director from the first film. Uh, This time, we've got Michael Pressman. I had to look into this guy because his name wasn't ringing a bell. Uh, He's done a lot of TV, and more so over the last 10 years. So much TV and similar TV. I'm talking Law and Order, Blue Bloods, Chicago Med, Elementary. All (laughs) the procedurals. That's what he's done a lot of in recent years. Um, movies, though, um, Doctor Detroit, which was a Dan Aykroyd comedy. John Belushi was initially going to be a part of it. And I think, uh, from memory, Doctor Detroit was the first, if not one of the first movies that Aykroyd made after John Belushi passed. Oh, wow. first, So, Doctor Detroit... Um, Boulevard Nights, some kind of hero. That was a Vietnam Richard Pryor comedy drama. (laughs) So he was out there doing things, you know, when it's the 70s, 80s, he was doing movies. He did Turtles, Secret of the Ooze, and then did TV, which he's still doing today.
1: Yeah, which is funny because I think TV directors, especially on procedurals and things of that nature, tend to make as much as they would on these types of theatrical movies that would have been releasing you know you have to really be an abrams or a spielberg or a scorsese or someone like that to really make ridiculous money as a director in hollywood these days um like jonathan frakes makes so much money uh from because of the amount of tv directing he does even yeah. kevin smith talked about like wow i actually make way more Making episodes of The Flash and Supergirl than I did on any of the movies I made. Like he should have been doing this. Yeah, he's said on multiple occasions on his podcast he should have been doing uh, TV directing work
0: for the he last said, yeah, fifteen he have, years. He should have started it a lot earlier. I mean, not just financially. I think he just generally really, really enjoys it and just a collaborative process. Yeah, TV like there's there's something to do with like if you. If you direct a pilot for a show and that show goes on to be successful, then you get residuals and you can be really comfortable living off those residuals. There's one guy in particular, his name, uh, David Nutter. He's done yeah. a lot of this. I think he's the one that's done a lot of superhero dramas.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a guy who he did back in the uh, late eighties and all through the nineties and even early two thousands, he was, they called him the pilot like Whisperer and he did the original pilot for um, cheer. Uh, he worked on cheers, but he did the original pilot for Frasier and um I think friends. And like, if you name a huge successful sitcom of that era, right, right up until the late two thousands odds are like three and a half men or two and a half men. He was the guy who directed the he's pilot the and he's, right. Yeah, and um, Fraser he would always do multiple episodes a season because he just loved the way that show worked. But you could always tell his episodes as well. He had a very distinctive directing style. But yeah, he's he he could have retired in like '96 and been one of the wealthiest directors of all time. Yeah, That's you're right. There is, it like,
0: yeah, there is. There's if you, if you do it right, there's there's a lot of money in it.
1: Yeah. So I don't. Think Michael, like Michael Pressman, the name rang a bell, and it was I did the same thing. I checked on IMDb. I'm like, oh, I've watched a lot of this stuff.
0: It's just yeah. not movies. He he, um, he was a producer on Lake Placid. That's something that jumped <laughs> out at me when I was, when I was <laughs> researching him earlier. Um, yeah, going back to the cast, then we've got an evil Brit, or oh, we've got a Brit playing a scientist, David Warner as Professor Jordan Perry.
1: Yeah, the scientist who created the ooze, um, who, you know, he's he's not an evil scientist, he's just a scientist, and it's a, uh, you know, it was an accident. But it's funny because I'm pretty sure TGRI was completely made up for the film. Because in the comics, it was just. I think they called. I don't think they called it ooze. I think it was mutagen in the yes, comics. So you're
0: right. It was. It was. It was mutagen. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, which is why they're mutant tur- Ninja Turtles. Um, so it, yeah, it's just, and also, you know, obviously, the intro to the cartoon you had their entire like story shown to you every single episode. So good. so when, with this movie, <laughs> um, the ooze. Wasn't ever neon enough for my taste. I expected it like practically glowing green, <laughs> like you a, a know, bioluminescent.
0: <laughs> I I was surprised what I found when I was looking into this. You mentions a TC uh, TCRI, yeah, which is the company which stands for Techno Cosmic Research Institute. That's that's what it stands for. I, I didn't get that from the movie. Maybe they mentioned it, but I, I found it when I was doing. They're in the prep. But in the original comic story, the ooze was made by stranded aliens called Utrons through a front company, and that was TCRI in, in the comics. But since the final script didn't include U-Troms, the company was changed, or it was changed for the film to Techno Global Research Industries. So in the original comic, it was Technocosmic Research Institute. But originally, the ooze was supposed to be created by aliens. But that subplot got cut from the film. I remember years ago watching the Michael Bay movies and being shocked when they reveal that they were aliens. Yeah. And it's like, what are you even talking about? Yeah, that's not true. That's not canon. But then, doing prep for this movie from 1991, it was there all along that that was going to be the intent.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know, aliens mutating Earth turtles, not an actual space race that just happened to look like turtles.
0: <laughs> um, Still, yeah, I like Kang. They're just the little turtles in a puddle of luminous green ooze or yeah. mutagen. Yeah. And yeah, because I remember
1: um, Krang was always an alien. Krang, uh, Shredder, where's my body?
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, that cartoon was so much fun. Did you, did you see the animated series? I think it came out in 2003. And they did a, like a feature-length animated movie, and it was called Turtles Forever. And it had the turtles from that show, which was the current one at the time, and they crossed over with different turtles. And they actually go to the 80s cartoon universe. But they also go to the black and white comic universe where it's really violent and dark. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never saw it. That sounds awesome. Turtles Forever. It's generally a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to
1: check it out because I'd never got into the comics as a kid because it was such a departure from the cartoon which is how i was introduced and it was the black and white was what really threw me off and also in the comic all their masks were red
0: they're all red you know, and they don't have the yeah. the initials on the buckles so it's hard to keep track of <laughs> yeah there. like
1: if they don't have their weapons in your hands, it's like which yeah. one's which uh yeah which was i always found really strange um because it seemed so obvious and so not because you know, you can take the test of like Wish Ninja Turtle of IU because they're set on um the four distinct uh personality types that you know, it, um you can do with any any group. Uh they always fall into a into this sort of group. Uh like even the biker mice from Mars, you have the three personality types, uh the, the friends characters, um, and all that sort of stuff. If you ever grab any big show they always splay out this way, but that's the one I always remember as a kid because I always went. My favorite was Raphael because he was the violent one with like knives, uh, and, and everyone my,
0: liked. My favorite was Leonardo because of the L was my initial. Yeah, and blue. I like blue. Yeah. That was that was my reasoning. I, I just we need to go back a little bit. You mentioned *Biker for for Mars*. Yeah, it was a show. I mean that oh, so show cool. was so cool. Had the toys, yeah. they were
1: great. Yeah, I am still shocked to this day. Like when they did the Ninja Turtle films, I'm like, oh, if you're going to be doing like 90s revival um, cartoons into live action, surely you go buy Kamais from Mars. With today's special effects, you could really oh, man, make something cool. out of that show. Yeah, I it's so it's so available strange. anywhere.
0: What man going back and? Watching some oh back of my some Mars that was that was really cool <laughs> that, was, that was such it's got, a great show yeah it's uh, so awesome
1: but we should uh we should talk about who was in the suits for the turtles
0: oh before uh, that or, though can, can we just talk about Shredder he oh yeah he comes back the big thing about that first movie is that Shredder's gone he's yeah. defeated and he comes back in this and first off let's credit the actor that's playing Shredder and I'm not talking about Super Shredder we we'll get him later yeah. on, um, and yeah. he's ridiculous. But we'll we'll get to him <laughs> first. So the actor playing the shredder is Francois Cow.
1: yeah, uh, who Francois. I am <laughs> <laughs> very familiar with him as Jules Pierre Mao from The Expanse. Oh, who right. is the for the first few seasons? He's the guy who bridge uh, brought in the proto molecule, which is what was infecting like. Belter um, stations and stuff, and they're doing experiments on people using it. Um, so when I was looking up, I'm like, "Who's playing Shredder?" And I saw who it was. I'm like, "No, there's no way it's that guy. I've seen him in. He's done so much work for the last 25
0: years. And I'm like, all this time he was Shredder. He was yeah. like well, <laughs> in from, my, from my childhood. <laughs> he was Shredder, but not the only Shredder. Because we also had Kevin Nash. A super yeah. shredder, a mutated version of shredder. It's it's pointless. Yeah, that's my take on super pointless. shredder. It's completely yeah. pointless because he gets big and strong and then crushed.
1: Yeah, uh, and that's Kevin it. Nash, he's done a lot of work in Hollywood. He was the Russian in the Thomas Jane Punisher yes, film. I was thinking that was Punisher, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, obviously, he's a huge wrestling star. Yeah. Um, which obviously it—it it was a smart choice to use him to get someone who's the correct size, but yeah, like he's, he's completely useless. I remember it blowing my mind as a kid, and then when I was rewatching it the nothing podcast, yeah, nothing he happens.
0: Just, it gets he gets turned strong.
1: big, yeah, and then punches a punch of poles, holding up a building that crushes him. Like, good, good job, good job.
0: It's, it's uh, a waste. It is, yeah. is an absolute waste. We should say- And why well, is this
1: costume? Why is this <laughs> costume? The, the claws get bigger, the helmet gets yeah. sharper. And like, the, Even as a kid, I'm like, why is this costume changing? Yeah. You,
0: the, 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 he's, the, he gets thing, in and out of that costume. It's the thing that happened though. Like cast your mind back to Masters of the Universe, the live action movie. and When mm. Skeletor became all powerful, he's got this big gold armor. <laughs> it's like yeah, a headpiece. <laughs> It, it's, yeah. it's oh, that I could happened.
1: buy because like magic imbues them with the sort of power so it, that's he's less
0: got, he's got magic alien not alien but you know magic ooze yeah it, it's okay. honestly it is it's, it's ridiculous it is such a big <sighs> anti-climax you know Eastman and Laird they didn't want Shredder to return until the third film they wanted to have a movie without him and then when he actually returns in the third installment and boy did the guys making the movies go in a different direction. Was yeah. Third film. <laughs> it was supposed to be a big thing. Like, this is his big return, but he'd get like another villain in the second movie. But no, they they just got back straight away. Yeah. Um,
1: and his number one, Tatsu, played by Poshishiro Obata, who I, he pops up on a lot of stuff. I looked at, I was looking through his IMDb. And I'm like, you've definitely done work. Uh, But I would have put money down that he was a Japanese wrestler of that era, but I could find
0: nothing on him. No, and I looked him up as well. And I found one workout video on YouTube really grainy. He was just (laughs) cutting things up in his garden. Or he was just checking things. "Ah, I I couldn't find much more than that. But okay, yeah, let's let's do what you want to do earlier. Let's talk about the voice cast for the Turtles.
1: Yeah, so for Michelangelo, the most popular <laughs> Ninja Turtle, we had uh, Michelin Sisti, uh, who's, yeah, he's Michelangelo. Uh, I don't know, because I couldn't find out who was in the suits, which I really wanted to do. I wanted to give them both credit, but I couldn't find the, the stunt performers.
0: Right, okay. So, uh, so did you say Robbie Rist is Michelangelo? No, Michelin Sisti. Oh, I've got somebody else. Who's Robbie okay, Rist so, then? In my prep, I've got Robbie Wrist as Michelangelo. It, it does get yeah. confusing though, because there's there's people in the suits. They're also crediting puppeteers and they're yep. crediting voice actors as well. Yes,
1: yeah, so, because what I do know is uh, Splinter was played by Kevin Clash. He was obviously a puppet. That was Elmo from Sesame Street. Mind blown, um, yep. It, yeah, oh, yeah so remind no when i found that out elmo yeah.
0: splinter <laughs>
1: yeah which Harder makes sense to train the turtles jim Henson obviously did the puppet a, a lot of the work on sesame street as well and this is a hand he trusts to operate a lot more technical puppet than yeah. the turtles um yeah for donatello we had uh i ha- i've got written down leaf tilden
0: what is happening i've got adam <laughs> carl <laughs> Oh, wow. And for Raphael, I've got Ken Scott. Who have I got for Raphael? I have Laurie Passau. <laughs> and for Leonardo, I've got Mark Case. Queso. Okay, right. Okay, so I, for, I don't know what you've done, but for <laughs> Leonardo, it's Brian Tocci, and he come, yeah. he's come back from that first movie. So he, I know for a fact that he is voicing Leonardo. Uh, Donatello is Adam Carl, who replaced Corey Feldman, who voiced him in the first movie. Didn't come back for this movie. He'd come out of rehab, but the producers thought that it would damage the image of the movie, having someone that just come out of rehab.
1: But he did come back for the third one, though. Yeah, I must have the the stand performers then, if you've got got the voice cast. We've got it covered. Yep. Between it got it
0: covered.
1: Yeah. because um, I yeah, I always remembered like, oh, it was definitely Corey Feldman who did Michelangelo. And then when I was doing my prep work, I'm like
0: Yeah, he's Donatello.
1: Where's uh oh yeah, I'm like, Where where's Corey Feldman? Like they... did they not afford him? I'm like, surely he was cheap enough to afford at the time. I mean they got vanilla ice to a very large segment. And I'm like, Yeah, oh oh no, he was in rehab. Okay,
0: cool. We're gonna, we're gonna let's just put a pin in vanilla ice. We're gonna get there. Yeah. Uh, Toker and Razor voicing the two of them. Frank Welker, Scooby Doo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we uh, talked and about the... him actually recently when we did our Mars Attacks episode. He was the alien. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, ang, ang, ang.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, the uh, Razor, the stunt performer, was Mark Ginther, or the guy in the suit. And uh, for Toka, it was Kurt Bryant, um, who were two very large men, which is who you need because <laughs> they need be taller than the turtles in the suits, um, who had a very – I found their two costumes, unlike the turtles, to look very mascotish to me.
0: Yeah, like, they, yeah. I mean, the turtles did such a good job in that first movie, and they carried that over into this because unlike the cartoon and the comics – the added detail of almost like freckles, you know, the little yeah. spots, which you know is a really nice. And, and you could distinguish them, yeah. from one to another there as well. Yeah, but also in merchandise, it's very distinctive as well. Like they could put out a toy line, and even if they didn't put anything on the packaging, just by having those dots on the figures, straight away you know that they're, they're from the movies and nothing else. So I've always yeah. liked that as an added detail. But you're right; it's they're almost like football mascots. The bad guys in this.
1: Yeah. Um, That being said, those are expensive costumes if you've ever looked into how much they cost. Um, And Chief Stearns returns for the very brief scene he's in, played by Raymond Serra. Uh, He was in the first movie. Who's. Okay. Are you trying to tell
0: me how to do my job? Ah, that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very New York uh, cop. (laughs) A cameo in this, it's a very small part, but. Michael J. White plays a foot soldier. I don't know oh, where, wow. but at some point in this movie, Michael J. White is in there. Yeah. Have cause... you seen have you seen a film of his called Blood and Bone? Yes. Oh, it's so good. He's such yeah. an underrated movie. It's a movie that I really enjoyed, and people, other than yourself, just haven't seen. Yeah, it is cause... a solid movie. He uh he
1: was of course original spawn uh for the Todd yeah. McFarlane film um and his career he's done kind of straight to dvd action movies
0: well he was uh, in a
1: lot It was in the dark knight yeah was, um was but good his uh, his regular paid jobs is more stunt work than as an actor um doing um stunt movies but when he's with his name on the marquee it's generally a like a b-grade martial arts film but yeah he's done so much work cw was was he bronze tiger
0: bronze tiger in the arrowverse and more recent than that you know the new movie we recently did a review on um, that film stew batman's soul of the dragon which is the 70s uh, martial arts movie with batman bronze tiger lady shiva uh, richard dragon all those characters and just like in the Arrowverse, Michael J. White is once again playing Bronze Tiger. This time in animated form.
1: Yeah, cool. I love. I like that DC keep that continuity with their with oh, the voice too. actors. Well, yeah, it's um, that's that's pretty much it for the cast. A lot of other people come in and come and go, but yeah, this probably brings us to uh, Vanilla Ice himself. The who... music. The
0: music. <laughs> um, Top to bottom though, before we get to vanilla ice, because I'm just looking forward to it so much. <laughs> before we get to <laughs> the, the score, just like that first film, is by John Duprez. Yeah. And it's excellent. But this yeah. This uh the, the music for the sequel, the first movie, solid. Fun music, action. It's all there in its very 90s, and I love it, and it plays so well. But I wasn't too familiar with his work outside of Turtles, so I looked into it, and straight away I found that Duprez has often worked with Amy Keidel for Monty Python. Yeah. Uh, most notably, he did the score for Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. He also worked with John Cleese on A Fish Call Wonder and a lot <laughs> Great more film. Python work. So like they've got a guy who did a lot of comedy in the eighties. Come nineteen ninety, they're like, "Hey, you want to come and score our turtles movie?" And then he came <laughs> back and did the second one. I don't think is on the third one, but the the soundtrack for this movie or the score for this movie it's just been released for the first time ever on LP. And oh wow! Waxwork Records. I think that's the. It's the company that did it and the artwork, and it's new artwork by Kevin Eastman. And it actually features the bad guys and the turtles from this film, and it looks really cool. But yeah, the score like start to finish easily one of the best things about this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really solid. Um, it, it, there's a kind of um, uh, Beverly Hills cop feel to the theme. I How um, old Maya? Yeah, <laughs> love it. Uh, and yeah, I've, I've I've had no problem there. In fact, I I still enjoyed the movie. It's just, yeah, I'm I'm so disassociated from it from where I was as a kid, being obviously skewed a lot younger than that first one because the first one sticks to my head better. That being said, I was watching it on the couch with my uh, my housemate who his all time favorite line almost from any movies out of this of like, you know, when they're creeping through trying to save Raphael and it's like, it's quiet. Yeah. A little too quiet. It's like, um, and all that sort of stuff. And he goes, Oh my God, it's Raph.
0: Yeah. A little too Raph. That is his absolute (laughs) favorite line. There's uh, there's good gags. There's good gags in this movie.
1: Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, I still had a, a really good time, but we looked up Vanilla Ice because obviously they, they're fighting uh Tok and Razor. They get knocked into a club and Vanilla Ice is performing. And he starts just pulling in the context of the movie a song out of his off the top of his head. Uh <laughs> the real Vanilla Ice, half an hour it took him to write that song. And I said, oh, Do you really? want to do a movie for Ninja Turtles? He's like, Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, what's what, what it about and he like, writes down like who they are and then cool um, and it took him half an hour to write
0: <laughs> but you know what though what I, what I read today you know sometimes when you read something and straight, you know, straight away you're like I don't know if I believe that but this, this is what I, I read when I was through research Frank Miller yes the Frank Miller is an uncredited co-writer of the song Ninja Rap What? I I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'm saying I don't know if I believe it, but this is what I read. Most specifically, he was responsible for the lyric, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. From my memory, that's the song. Yeah, (laughs) like basically the whole song. If if it's true, if there's any truth to this, that Frank Miller wrote that lyric, you can't say Vanilla Ice wrote the song in half an hour. Because... uh, Frank Miller clearly (laughs) wrote the song, but I mean, this was after Ice Ice Baby, yeah, top of the world, and a huge name in in his um in his in this movie. The song featured prominently within the film, so towards the end, Ice makes an appearance as himself and begins to freestyle a ninja rap, and the turtles end up fighting Toka and Razor, but the idea is that. So within the film, it's great that Infinity Light is getting a cameo, he's got fans, but what's supposed to be happening in the film is the song was to trick the audience into believing that the fight was just a harmless show and for them not to panic. Yeah. So within the movie, that's what's supposed to be happening. But like we are now, adults watching it, it's just silly. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. The We talked about the weapons earlier. The they're fighting in this. It's like they're not really there. The more, it's more like the dancing than fighting. You know, aside yeah. from Super Shredder grabbing Leonardo, throwing him to the other three turtles. Other than that, there's no physical contact made with Shredder throughout the whole movie. That is, yeah, it. This, yeah. And that's at the end. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did notice, uh, it's in my notes, uh, both when they're trying to get the ooze from the uh lab in the first place, um Tatsu has just stood there with his arms crossed in the background <laughs> with uh why everyone else fights. And they get to the point where in in shot, it looks like Michelangelo could basically at a full extension reach out and back so backhand him. And Tatsu's just stood there why one of his guys is fighting a Ninja Turtle directly in front of him. I'm like, why is he just stood off in the background? You know what? They didn't choreograph that. They didn't plan out their shot sequence. I I, I, I watch enough behind the scenes to understand fight choreography and having to use the, the angles of the camera to make use of that sort of stuff so you don't have performers standing around. But then later on in the movie, Shredder does the same thing in the junkyard. He just stood there. Well, the fighting's happening yeah. directly in front of him. I'm like, you could, you could just step in right now.
0: They were trying to like, make the cartoon, and, and that's why. And what happens, Saturday morning cartoons, when, whenever there's any fighting, everybody takes turns. Yeah. And that's what's happening in this live-action movie. You're right. You're yeah. right. They, they could easily take on the turtles, potentially win, but no. Yeah. They're waiting yeah. their Go turn. Sure.
1: And the Ninja Turtles are doing a lot of just football stuff of like, set hut. You go left, you go right, I'll go up the middle. It's, it's, it's very – I'm going to bring it up again. Very Scooby-Doo oh, in, the, oh, uh, in the hijinks and, like, the way they fight. They're not actually fighting despite the fact they're Ninja Turtles. They're, uh, they're slapstick, um, routining their way yep. through a fight. It's very um, silly.
0: It's very silly. Um, yeah. Okay. So I mentioned before, so this movie, it did get a sequel. 1993, so at least they gave themselves a bit more time. They didn't rush this next one. They gave gave themselves two years. A third film titled Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 was released in 93 to a smaller box office take and is the last of the original trilogy of films. And I believe the, the title of that movie was, is it Turtles in Time? Yeah, just like the video game. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so see, they, going they back actually to... go feudal Japan. Yeah, time travel. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Which
1: I remember. This was this one, the third one. I never watched at cinemas. The third one was strictly at home on VHS. I, I don't even remember it getting a theatrical release here in Australia, or if it did, my parents were were not willing to take me. So it was a like, uh, yeah, when it comes out on video, you can you can watch it then.
0: Um, but yeah, it's um,
1: I it's really strange.
0: I always remembered like no competition, the third one's the worst one, like without yeah competition, it is a bad movie, it's the worst one. But after re watching The Secret of the Ooze, I'm not quite sure. I need to go back and watch Turtles in Time again, just so I can confirm for my for, just for me, yeah, same the order they go in. I mean, I'm thinking that the best one, it, it literally goes One, two, three. one yeah. being the best. And I think that's the same for most people. The only Turtles movie I've seen at the cinema, it's the CGI animated movie they did. TMNT. Yeah. The one where Sam gallows is April O'Neil, Luke Evans is Casey Jones. Patrick Stewart was the big bad. And that's yeah. all I can remember from that movie. But I watched it and for the most part, it was all right. It's been a while since I've gone back and seen that one. Yeah, they seem to do a better job animated with the turtles than they do
1: live action. I t- it's such a like, it's such a hard premise to be to, to tell in a straight way. I think that's why the cartoon works better because once you do, I still think the costumes for the turtles work really well in these movies. I always have. Uh, in fact, I think it was was it Universal Studios or was it someone else? um um, you they had them on when you do the tour people come out in the uh, ninja turtle suits um which is how good they are which is they've aged quite well yeah um despite the the poor actors and stuff inside who are probably dying but um even so like it's just seeing six foot tall turtles and trying to take them serious is a is the fool's demand, which is why it I think it works so well as a as a kid show. Like obviously the comics have always been quite violent and quite adult, but it what some what works on the page doesn't always work live action on the screen. Um which yeah which this movie really shows they leaned way too far towards the kid side. I think yeah,
0: they did. I, I mean again, I still generally like the look of the turtles i think it helps that henson was behind the designs yeah and even there um when they, they find a new layer
1: me. when they find a the new um layer which is like an abandoned new york subway station that looks great the set design's really smart it's just the the the, the trash the junkyard where the foot clan are like hold up and um the club which looks like it literally just looks like a warehouse that was available for him to shoot in it looks like something out of the mighty more <laughs> power rangers rather than the large, which, large budget film. it's
0: um it's funny you say that did you ever see the live action series they did i think it was called the next mutation or the next generation but it was a live action turtles tv series um, the costumes for the turtles were shocking; they really were. But they introduced a a female turtle that had a light blue bandana. But they did a crossover with Power Rangers in space. <laughs> it actually happened. It I know.
1: Yeah, I never saw it, but yeah, that it, it doesn't surprise me because I think someone was. Like, uh, my husband was explaining to me the they did that and they named. The, the female turtles at Venus de Milo?
0: Ah, oh, I don't know. I, I, I saw bits of <laughs> you know, I remember it, it was big when Fox Kids first launched on satellite in the UK. Yeah. You know, um, Power Rangers was still big then, and Turtles were yeah. like a, this new show, and it just wasn't, wasn't very good. Before we get to our rating, they've only put out one issue so far, but have you read The Last Ronan? No, it's, it's excellent. It's really dark and gritty. It's an oversized comic. And and the story, the premise is that there's only one turtle left. Three of the brothers have died and one turtle is carrying on the mission.
1: And oh, wow. it's That's really great.
0: dark and it's cool. And it got delayed. Like the first issue came out last year and now we're maybe a month away from issue two. And it's oversized as well. So here in Australia, so for just one issue of the comic, it was $18, which is very yeah. expensive. But I've got the first pretty, issue. Yeah. And yeah. it is excellent. You'd probably like it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, that's, really... that's trade paperback
0: cost there. But if it's I a good comic. really much. It. It's oversized. And it's, who's doing it? I think it's IDW. I'm pretty sure they're yeah. the ones that are publishing it. But do. Yeah, because they're the ones they're doing
1: the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. yeah, that doesn't surprise me, though, because if they're doing it in an oversized format, is it in like a magazine, like square bound as well, like the DC um Black yes, Label like stuff? like DC Black Label. Yeah, because that's about the right cost for that stuff as well. So is it also on the higher quality paper?
0: It is high quality paper. I mean, people are listening, but you can see, Jay, I'm holding up the cover yep. now. It oh, is excellent. Cool. And if you want to know who's involved, Eastman, Laird, and others. But they've yeah. come together for the first time in how many years and worked on a project together. So it really is fantastic. So the, the US price is $9, but here in Australia, $18. But it is absolutely fantastic, and it's real It's dark, edgy. You've got a, a lone tortured turtle. It's There's a lot going on. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. I'll run down the on There's a a recommend for you. Okay, so if we're gonna rate the secret of the use out of five, (laughs) um, I don't know how honest
1: to be because there is a lot of nostalgia attached to this. Like this, there's so many lines of dialogue from this film that are like burned into my mind, um, and, and and I did enjoy it. I'm probably gonna come in around a three. Um, especially keeping in mind it is a kids' film. It is definitely not an adult film. But I think about three out of five, for this one.
0: I'm also going to come in... Oh, I don't know, actually. For pretty much the whole episode, and after watching the movie, it was a 2.5. Yeah. And a lot of that is to do with the score. There is elements to like here, but you're right. I mean, this is... A, a kid's film, like how it's presented was intentional. It's what they were going for. Super Shredder is ridiculous. In fact, you, you know what? No, no, no. I'm, I'm not coming in. I'm going to come in. I'm going to stick to a 2.5. Yeah. I'd, probably, I'd
1: probably come in the same because today's kids' films aren't, are, are much better because they do understand to aim at broader in modern kids' films, but back in the 90s, this is what a kids' film looked like.
0: It, it is, um, but it's, it's too silly. It, you mentioned the stunt earlier, like Michelangelo, instead of the nunchucks, he's got sausages. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking maybe a 2.5 is too high, but you know what, I'll, learn, I'll stick at that. And th- There is going to be hardcore fans out there that love this film.
1: Yeah, Um and I could I could remember the lyrics when this song started of uh, Ninja Rap. It's just yeah. There's when you look at it with a modern lens, um, the film quality, the 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 big tone shift from the first film, the fact they're not using the signature weapons, um, and it, the whole thing just seems like it's like I said, just way more stripped down than the first one. Um, it, it's it, which is a huge shame because the first one. I, it's just so solid in my mind. It's just so. I can understand the the reasoning behind it as well. It just it hurts your end product when, like, by aiming so young, you you lose the parents. The parents aren't going to go on and go see this multiple times at the cinema. Whereas if it's something like a new like a Pixar film or a Disney movie or even the DreamWorks animation stuffs, really strong. They all stand out. Head and shoulders above what this is, which was, as we've said, yeah.
0: was par and course for the time.
1: Back like, in getting... ninety,
0: back in ninety one, though, it does make business sense because now you've got younger kids that can now go watch a turtles film at the cinema, and parents are going to yeah. take them. Kids are going to want toys. Parents buy the toys, so it makes good business sense. But unfortunately, for older fans that really likes that first movie, you're not really. Getting the sequel. I mean, imagine watching Tim Burton's Batman '89, and then Returns yeah. came out, and tonally it was like this. What a yeah. massive disappointment it'd be. So I'd imagine for big, you know, hardcore turtle fans, it would have been a disappointment. Depending on the age, if they were young, they'd have probably grown up with it like we did, and and found things to like about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's a, yeah, it's definitely not one. It's uh, it. it it's probably it, i've had the same experience with this than i had when i watched um the Ewok movies as an adult of like wow i used to watch this
0: religiously what happened i'm like oh i got older that, that's what happened <laughs> Yeah, you know, i've not actually seen them since i was a kid so what was it battle for endor and caravan of courage yeah yeah they're I mean, um they're shocking <laughs> disney they own them are they in disney plus are they heck no, no. Not for, for
1: good, yeah, <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't get my nephews to watch that when they were five
0: which uh tells you about the kind of quality we have they have yeah. i used to watch them all. i think i had them on vhs i think it may be Karen of courage you know if they put them on disney plus i'd check them out it's been a long time yeah i mean they've made willow available why don't they make ewoks available <laughs> if it's ewoks yeah. i'd watch them yeah Well, that's it for our episode all about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast.
1: As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.